Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. next few weeks, we're going to talk about these three words, like a child. We're going to talk about like a child. Now, uh, the first thing we're going to talk about tonight in this like a child is, is, these, is these five words. I want you to say it with me. My God, My God is, for me. is for me. Like a child. Mark, the 10th chapter is where we're going to kind of invest ourselves here tonight. It's easy to read past the story that I want to draw out and miss a very important message to you tonight because in Mark, the 10th chapter, Jesus is talking about marriage and divorce and he's talking about a rich young ruler and he's talking about the possibilities that you have with God and he's talking about James and John's request of one sitting on one hand and the other sitting on the other hand of him when he comes to his kingdom and we're talking about the healing of Bartimaeus and so there's a lot of neat stuff that happens in the 10th chapter of Mark. And Jesus was actually interacting in this 10th chapter with some kids. And there's a lot of different parents who were bringing their kids up to Jesus for him to bless them or just simply to touch them. And the disciples, boys, disciples were dull people. Man, they were dull. I mean, they went with him to Samaria one day and he, he sent 12 of them to get lunch for 13. 12 don't have to go to get lunch for 13. You understand that? And he stayed there and, and met with the woman because he said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And here they are. They're really upset. They're really upset about these parents bringing these kids to him. And they said, wait a minute. This is the son of God. He's, he's way too important. Get your kids away from the son of God. And Jesus, Jesus didn't like that at all. He, he had to continually be on these young men. In fact, Mark said he was indigent. He really was indignant. And he was really upset and he said, no, 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 no. Let the children come to me. Let them come to me. And in 10, 15, he said, I'll tell you the truth. Watch this now. Anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, he will never enter in. That's pretty tough. We must receive the kingdom of God like a child. Jesus was implying that we should have a very childlike faith and trust in God. You know, kids just believe for anything. We had, when I was, when I first came here, we was in a, a little A-frame building next door over here. And, and one day we had a whole group of flying, like the flying Wallendas, only they wasn't the Wallendas. They were a, a group of people from old Mexico. They were tremendous. And they were here with the Barnum and Bailey Circus and they, they came to our church one Sunday. They just kind of walked in with all their costumes and all their stuff. And they came to church, about 20, 25 of them. There's a whole big old family. And so uh, since we didn't have any trapeze over there, you know, uh, <laughs> we just decided maybe they could give their testimony. They just kind of walked in and, and they told us that they were spirit-filled people and they had found the Lord. And so I thought it was very neat, so I, I, I could understand some of they spoke, they spoke broken English, and, and I spoke real broken Spanish. And uh, I said, you want an enchilada, stuff like that, but, you know, a taco. 
and they, they didn't speak English much better. But they, but they got up, and here's, here's, where, here's the story they told. This is so, this is so powerful. They'd been with, uh, there was a red tent, and there was a blue tent with Barnum and Bailey. They'd been with one of the colors for a long time, and they'd been traveling and doing the high wires and the, and the flying and the trapeze and all that. And one of the men got up who was a spokesman for the group, and he said that they were, they were in a Florida town several years ago, and, and there was a little boy, a little, a little boy that came every day to the big top and to the tent to watch them practice, watch them practice. He didn't have the money or his dad and mom wouldn't let him come in to the circus. I guess they preached against the circus or whatever. But he came to watch them practice. And he would go in and watch them practice. And they became friends with this little boy. And so one day they asked him, who are you? And he said, well, he said, I am, I am the son of a Pentecostal preacher. And he said, uh, he looked at them and he said, this kid's about seven years old. And he said, uh, y'all think y'all are good, don't you? And they said, well... <laughs> You know, yeah, we believe that we're good. He said, you ain't seen nothing. You ought to come and hear my daddy preach. And they laughed at him. Lost people, sinners. He came the next day and he said, my daddy's better than y'all at doing what he's doing. You need to come see him. Well, they knew they were pretty good. So one day after about five or six days of him imploring them to come to hear his daddy preach, they all showed up one one Sunday night at a revival at their daddy at his daddy's church, and every one of them found Jesus Christ that night. Every one of them. Every one of them. There's nothing like the faith of a child. There's nothing like the faith of a child. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to look at four different attributes of God from the perspective of a child. And let me tell you the ones we're going to cover. If you want to write these down, you can. Tonight, we're going to talk about, everybody say, my God God. is for me. Next week, we're going to look at the presence of God. And and a little child would say that my God is with me. Say, my God is with me. Very simple stuff. In week three, we're going to look at the grace of God. And we're going to hear hear a child say, my God forgives me. Say, my God forgives me. How many are happy he forgives? Amen. And then the last week, the fourth week, we're going to look at the virgin birth and the power of God and theological term of the omnipotence of the Almighty is all powerful. And the little child would say, my God can do anything. Hallelujah. And unless you have faith of a child, you cannot experience all that God wants us to experience. And so tonight, we're going to talk about the goodness of God from the perspective of a child. Say it with me. My God is for me. Now, children raised in a, in, a, in a Christian home or in good Bible-believing churches or around positive spiritual influences, you will see that child with very simple faith in the goodness of God. And when you hear a child with that kind of faith, it just kind of blows your mind sometimes. And we teach them songs like, you remember this one, Jesus loves me, this I know, help me now, for the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong, sing it, they are weak. Sing it. Oh, hallelujah. Does that feel good? Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And then we we taught them songs. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Do we sing that? Jesus loves the little children. Of the world. 
Hallelujah. We don't sing that anymore because we're grown now. (laughs) And the little children, they just take it on this real simple childlike faith. They know that God is good. They know that God loves me. And they know that my God is for me. And they will have this faith maybe for years until one day perhaps something happens in their lives. And something that they didn't want or didn't expect. I don't know what it might have been for you. That might have crusted your soul, but I've known little kids who believed in the goodness of God, and then one day their parents' marriage started to struggle. And their parents began to fight a little bit around the kids, and that child would kneel down at night in his bed and put his little hands under his little chin and clasp her hands and say, God, my mom and dad need to have a good marriage. Would you send a good marriage to our home? And then that mom and dad divorce and the child's world is wrecked and the kid starts to wonder, where is God in that? And if God was for me, why did that happen? Or a little kid, a little, a little kid wants a dog for Christmas and he's a little Christian boy, so he wants a dog and not a cat. <laughs> and so he gets this little puppy dog and the dog can shake paws, you know, and he can, he can beg and it's the kid's best friend, you know, and I've had these kind of dogs. And one day, that dog gets out from the outside the backyard, and he runs into the street to chase a car, and he gets hit and gets killed. And the little kid's like, where's God in this? I thought God was good. I thought God was for me. Why did this happen? Or a kid has a really special relationship with a grandma or a grandpa. Maybe he loves his grandpa. He likes to whittle with him or go fishing or go hunt with his grandpa or maybe... His grandma just is real special. She'll take him to Walmart and buy him stuff. And whatever he calls him, Nana or Papa or whatever, Bo, Sweet Pea, whatever he calls him. And he prays and prays and prays because one day that grandmother, that grandpa is taken to the hospital. And he prays and he prays and he prays for God to heal her. And that grandma, that grandpa doesn't come home. And he starts to wonder where is God in this. And the longer he lives, the longer his list grows. And he wonders if God is good and if God is for me, why are all these things happening? I pastored a kid right here in this church several years ago, one of the sharpest young men. A young man that I had great confidence that he would do great things in life. I really believed he would preach one day. He was a college-age boy and he had a sister who was mentally challenged. And she would come to church from time to time, one of the sweetest kids that you ever witnessed in your life. And he wanted God to heal her. And every night after church, he would bring her up. And I would pray for that darling right over here. And, 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 and God didn't heal her. And one day he walked in my office. He was a great kid. And it shocked me. It blew me away. And he told me he didn't understand a God like that. So he said, Pastor, I'm leaving church. I love you. And I really love God, but I can't serve a God that won't do for me what I think he needs to do for me. And I'm going to walk away from it all right now. And he did. And he's gone. And tragically, sometimes people conclude, well, I guess God just isn't for me. Or I guess God just really isn't there. Or I guess God isn't really good. And the reality is that maybe where some of you are, you grew up. And you called yourself a Christian and some things happen and now you say, I'm not sure what I really believe any longer because these things have happened negative in my life. Or some of you may be here tonight and you're really not sure where you stand on all the religious stuff and is God there and is he real and if he is, is he good and why are these different things happening to me? And while working on this message, I found a poem written by a young man 15 years of age. 
And I read it and it made me kind of sick and I'm going to read it to you tonight. I know it's this little grave, but stay with me. He simply said, God doesn't love me. You can't force me to believe that God is good. This is the one truth in life. This world is a product of chance. How can I believe God will use my life? I know with certainty that God has left me. Never again will I say Christ is risen from the dead. I know now more than ever in my life that man can save himself. And we must realize that it's ignorant to think that God answers prayers. And Christians declare that without God, this world would fall into darkness. And this world can say and will meet my needs. It is a lie to say God has always been there for me. I now realize that no matter what I do, the truth is he doesn't love me. And how can I presume that God is for me? How? Is that to bring encouragement to, the, to your day and make you feel better? Well, it doesn't. And I read it to you, and there's a, little, there's a little, 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 little sigh in this church tonight. But I want you to lift up your heads and say, Pastor, preach to us. Pastor, Amen. But the reality is that where so many people live, how can I presume that God is for me or loves me? And what I want to do tonight is read to you a couple of different verses that clearly state that God is for you. Everybody say, God is for me. But I acknowledge that just reading Bible verses and preaching from my heart and with an anointing in my life may not change your mind. I believe that's something that God's going to do tonight, though. I'm leaving it in God's hands because I believe if God invaded our worship the way he did tonight, if God touched us with song and praise tonight, I think by preaching the word of God, God's going to further touch us with the word tonight and cause us to understand that my God is for me. Amen. Watch out through the Bible that God is for you. And then what I want to do is show you how believe it and that can actually transform your life. Believe in those five words that God is for you. It makes a huge difference. So I'm going to read some verses. The first I read tonight is one that when we built this church several years ago, I wrote it on the wall of the church in my office. They covered it, of course, with all kind of paint and and wallpaper and all that. But here's what I wrote, Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Say it with me, prosper you. And not harm you. Plans to give you hope. Plans to give you a future. I know what I, what, I, what I believe about you, and I have plans for you, plans to prosper, plans to not harm you, plans to give you hope, and plans to give you a future. Somebody clap your hands to that and say amen to that right now. God has plans for every single one of you here tonight. He has plans to prosper you. He has plans to bless you. He has plans to give you hope. He has plans to give you a future. When I wake up, you know, I'm like that little old girl. I I told this story one time. There's a little old girl about six years old. One day a horrible thunderstorm was in the area and the father and mother were sleeping in a far distant room. And so the dad got worried about his little girl. So he walked into her room and it was lightning and thundering. And when he walked in, he didn't see her in the bed. He said, oh God, she's ran out. She's hiding somewhere. She's scared. And he looked and she had the curtains drawn and she was standing against the window like this. And he went to her and said, honey, are you all right? She said, oh, yeah, daddy, I'm fine. 
isn't this awesome? And he thought she'd be scared that he said, yeah, babe, I guess it is awesome. You're not afraid. She said, oh, no, daddy. You see all that light flashing? That's God taking a picture of me because he loves me so much. adults it's not time to be afraid we got children thinking that lightning out there is God taking pictures and that thunder is God saying I love you come on it don't matter what storm is in your life stand against the window and declare my God is for me that's right ah, hallelujah I got plans for you I'm going to bless you I'm going to give you hope I'm going to give you a future so when I wake up in the morning, I honestly wake up every morning believing my marriage is blessed. But it's going to be more blessed by God. When I wake up in the morning, I'm believing I have more today to give tomorrow to my future than I have given today. When I wake up believing God is going to use me to even make a bigger difference in people's lives. The more I preach this gospel in the world tomorrow than I did today. And I hope you understand that God is for you and God has plans to prosper you and God has plans to bless you. And this is not a prosperity message. I'm just telling you that's what the book says. And you're going through something difficult right now and that our God wants to give you hope because he has a good future for you. Everybody say, my God is for me. Romans 8 and 31 said, if God is for us, God's just saying, hey, I'm for you. I want somebody to broaden their chest and say I'm against you. Because I'll take them down. <laughs> Woo! If God is for us, who can be against us? I love the power of this verse. If my God, who is all powerful, who is ever present and all knowing, if he is for us, then who can be against us? How do we know that God is for us? Verse 32 says it, and he, meaning God, did not spare his own son. How will he not also along with him, Christ, graciously give us all things? I didn't write that. Would you give the word a hand clap right now? I didn't write that, but that sure is good stuff. I didn't write that. I'm just a messenger. When you realize that God is for you, it changes the way you look at your life. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Because he's got plans to bless you. He's got plans to prosper you. He's got plans to give you hope. He's got plans to give you a future. Turn to the person sitting beside you and say, I don't know about you. But God is definitely for me. I'm going to make you do that a few more times tonight. Because I want you to start believing that. Can I tell you something? And this, this, is, this, is, this is a long way from where some of you are right now. But some of you need to speak some creative things into your life. Come on, come on. God spoke this world into being. You can speak some things into your life. You can talk your way into tragedy. You can talk your way into victory. In, in the tongue is the power of life and the power of death. And I choose the power of life in my tongue. And God said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For if God is for me, who can be against me? Hallelujah. Speak it. Speak it. Speak it. I will be victorious. I will be triumphant. Speak it. 
I didn't mean to get beside myself there, but forgive me. I'm going to give you three prospective changes if you're taking notes. All right, put these on your refrigerator. Number one, when I realize that God is for me, I don't hide from God, but I run to God. Say it with me. When I realize that God is for me, I don't hide from God, but I run to God. Hear me. When you don't trust God, your nature is to run and hide like Adam and Eve ran. They sinned, and God said, where are you? He knew where they were. He wanted to know what position they were with him. In Genesis 3 and 10, Adam said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So... The Bible said he hid himself from God because he didn't trust the nature and the goodness of God. It's kind of like the little kid that sometime come to my house <laughs> and sneak my chocolates. I happen to have a little chocolate fever in my tongue. I love Hershey's. Have I told you about that? I've told you about Bluebell, but I like Hershey chocolates too. The kind with the almonds in them. And you get those little ones, you know, it's not fattening. It's the Hershey bars that are fattening. You can eat them little ones all day long. <laughs> it's like Brill cream, a little dab of do, you know, a little chocolate. And those kids many times will get more than they can handle and we tell them you don't eat too much it'll make you sick we used to have a dog that ate those chocolates too she loved Ghirardelli chocolate Ghirardelli chocolate she'd run through the house real fast when she ate that chocolate and those kids will get those chocolates and go hide behind a door or something you know and they'll eat those chocolates and they'll leave the wrappers you know all my three of my grandsons have done that and sometimes I hide that candy because it's mine but the Lord's I repented of it, and I put stuff out there now. Now we, now we eat bit of honeys. They do. But, 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 but some people feel like, you know, I've got this sin in my life, Pastor. I've got this sin, and I don't want to get caught, or I'm not sure where I stand, so I don't know what I need to do. So we hide from God. Let me talk to you, which is what so many of us don't need to do. This has happened in our church. We have had, we've got some great couples in our church. I want, ever, I want everybody to clap your hands. Just a second, just a second now. Clap your hands real big. We've got some folks in our church that perhaps could not have children, but that didn't stop them. They adopted kids. I want to give, give a hand to the adopted parents in our church right now. Come on. Come on, give them a hand. That's good stuff. Adopted parents. And, and, and some of these parents have adopted children that are not babies. They're, they're a little bit older. And, and, and these kids come from all kinds of abject situations, sometimes poverty, sometimes brutality, sometimes horribleness. 
And, and, and they, they, they came here, some of them kind of shy, and some of them were kind of turned inward, and they would not talk, and they would not receive a, a pastoral hug even on the porch. No positive acts at first. Bashfulness at times and a little fear would affect their countenances. And counselors say that when these kids are taken out of diverse and difficult situations, that even though they do not have a mom and dad where they were, and even though it was a very bad home for kids, they have to get to know their new surroundings. They will not come in and just overnight become successes. Stay with me. Trust must be earned. They need to be shown unconditional love. And when you show unconditional love, the trust comes. You'll see the fear in their face leave and they'll run to you. And new families in our church have shown the language of love to those kids. We've got great, great adopted parents in this church. And I would recommend any of them to, to, to get five more kids because they're great, great parents. And they have a gift of grace. They have a touch of kindness. They've learned a language that captivates and one that endears and one that touches and one that blesses and one that motivates. And this has happened in this church at least in three or four homes in the last four or five years. What I'm saying is, now those kids are happy. Now they're contented, at peace and laughing and fearing nothing and they're loving life and they run and hug their pastor because they have learned a language of love and not fear. Somebody say praise the Lord to that. When you realize that God is for you, you don't run from him. You run to him. If people that adopt kids in this church can speak the language of love and those kids can make mistakes and they can still run to a dad and an adopted mother and can still cling to them, how much more do you think that there is a God in heaven? Hallelujah. That loves us so much that it doesn't matter what your sin was. It doesn't matter where you are right now. Don't run away from him. Run to him. Get to God. Get to his feet. Get in his presence and understand that God is for you. It just, it just bothers the hound dog out of me. When I see people that make a mistake and the first thing they do is start missing church. The first thing you need to do is come get on the front row of church. I promise you, Jim Bean can never be the friend that Jesus Christ is. I promise you that a tote can never be the friend that Almighty God is. You don't need to run away from God. You need to, oh, you need to run to God. You don't need to flee and hide. You need to come into His presence and say, God, I know you're for me. And I'm tired of running. I'm going to come to you. Am I preaching to you tonight? Am I helping somebody? If you fall flat on your face tomorrow, you get up and come to church. Ain't nobody going to hurt you here. We love the children that Jesus Christ has adopted into the family. Because <laughs> we're all adopted. The Bible said the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run into it and are safe. Have you ever noticed, have you ever studied the cities of refuge, the 12 cities of refuge? Let me just tell you real quickly. Do you realize that you didn't have to get in the gate to be safe? 2,000 yards, 2,000 yards, over a mile outside that city, about a mile 
and an eighth or, or a third or a mile and a third or mile and, about a mile and a quarter outside that city were people that were guardians of the road. And the road was cleared and the road had no chug holes and the road was specially paved. Because if you got within 2,000 yards of the city, hallelujah, the manslayer or the avenger of blood could not come and take the life of the manslayer. He was safe. It doesn't matter, folks. It doesn't matter. I don't care how much hell tells you that God is not for you. You can just point toward this church. You can just point toward this church and say, I'm going to the house of the Lord tonight. I'm not going to run away. And God says, clear the road for him, kids. Clear the road for him. Clear the road. A, a child of God's coming home, and I'm going to show him kindness, and I'm going to show him love. When you get in trouble, don't run away. Run to him. I got to hurry because I, I promise I'll let you out at 844 tonight. I didn't promise you. I promised God and God. Second thing, if you're taking notes, is this. When I realize that God is for me, I don't live for God's approval, but I live from God's approval. Say it with me. When I realize that God is for me, I don't live for God's approval, but I live from God's approval. Hallelujah. That's a game changer. Everybody say, God is for me. I don't have to live for his approval. I live from his approval. Romans 5 and 8, I love this scripture. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, <laughs> he died for us, folks. Can I get a witness? Aren't you glad you didn't have to get good to get God? He's so much for us and loves us so much when we don't deserve anything from him. He showed his love to us by the ultimate sacrifice of his own son and the resurrection of that son, Jesus Christ. That's how much God is for us. And so for those of you who walk around always afraid, well, I did good today, so maybe God likes me. Oops, I did bad. Maybe God's upset with me. I helped somebody today. Maybe God loves me. I helped that little old woman change a tire. Ooh, I did a double take on that pretty girl. I look twice. <laughs> and I know I didn't do good. Now I'm bad, so God don't like me. And we live in this bouncy, up, down, spiritual, manic, depressive mindset. And we always cannot find our balance because hell wants us to think that we're condemned every time we make a mistake. He is a liar. John 8, 44 said he's a liar and the father of all lies. There's no truth in him. There's two things about God that's immutable. Number one, he is God. And number two, he cannot lie. It's like a little child who recognizes that the parents love the child for just who they are, not what they do. My dad was one of the greatest athletes that Oklahoma ever produced. He really was. Coach Darrell Royal was a dear friend of mine before he died. Coach Texas here for 20 years. And he and my dad were best friends growing up in high school. One lived in Lewis Hill. The other lived in Hollis. And Coach Royal used to tell me about my daddy's exploits. My dad never was one to brag. 
And he said, your dad had the best fastball in southwestern Oklahoma. He could strike out. He said, he struck me out a lot, Rex. He said, your dad was a great boxer, and your dad was a great basketball player. He was six feet four. He was a great athlete. And he used to run track because he didn't have enough money to buy track shoes. He would, they always give him the outside lane so he wouldn't get stepped on by track shoes. And he beat people barefooted. That's my daddy. What'd yours do? God, I love my dad. I miss him. This Christmas will be four years without him. And I wanted so much to please that dad. So when I played ball, I did real good when dad wasn't there. But when he was there, I always struck out. I hit a massive grand slam one night in Little League. Massive grand slam. It was at least 200 feet. Massive. And I circled the bases, and Dad wasn't there that night. He had to work late. So we, I told him that night when I got home, and he said, Son, I'm going to be there the next game. And so he was there, and I struck out three times that game. <laughs> when I played football, Daddy was there. I'd get tackled in the backfield. When he wasn't there, I, I broke records and ran the ball like Barry Sanders or Emmett Smith. They wish they could have been me then. <laughs> I brag a little bit more than daddy. But when daddy was there, I missed skinners. They'd go between my legs. I'd strike out. I'd get tackled. I'd win track meets when dad wasn't there, but when he was there, it seemed like my legs just got stiff. I just, because I always wanted his approval. And I tried so hard. And I'd give it my best, and I just couldn't get over the hump. And then mom, mom comes along. She, she wanted me to be the perfect Christian boy. She'd demand certain things of my life, and I found myself trying to live up to those things that mom never did as a young person herself, but she invoked them on me. See, she was a country singer. She didn't always do the right thing because she sang in dance halls and bars and all that kind of stuff, but she wanted me <laughs> to live this perfect life. Rex Allen asked her to marry him, and Red Foley loved her, and he called her his little chickadee and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but I wanted to be this perfect kid. So I found myself trying to live up to her approval, for her approval. And one day in college, I woke up and I said, listen, I said this to myself, it just hit me. I am my father's child. And my mama had me in Mangum, Oklahoma at the Baptist Hospital on December 28th, 1962. Oops, 49. <laughs> and I am their baby boy. Get on with it, son. Get on with it. And I got to thinking, my dad put something in me called don't quit. And my mama put something in me called pray. And if I put a don't quit and a pray in my spirit, I don't have to live up to their approval. I can live from their approval. And I will tell you this. Some of you are in performance addiction tonight. You live with constant tension because you don't recognize that God is for you. He saved you. He loves you. He bought you. And when you realize that he's for you, you'll stop living under that tension and under that legalism. And instead you'll live from his approval, not for his approval. 
Oh, I'm talking to you right now, and that's good news. Because if God is for you, who can be against you? And number three, let me finish. Let me finish. I took too long on that first point. I sure could have preached that second point. When you realize that God is for you, you won't fear what happens to you because you know that God is working in you. Let's read it together. When you realize that God is for you, you won't fear what happens to you because you know that God is working in you. Say, I will not fear tomorrow because I know that God is working in me. Here's a favorite of mine, Romans 8, 28. Let's quote it. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Everybody say in all things. Say the good things. The bad things. The things that make us happy. The things that come and make us sad. In all things. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Everything that happens to you is for the good. Put this in your, put this in your mind and in your heart. Everything that comes to you has to go through him first. And he said, I won't put more on you than you're able to bear. But will with every temptation provide a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. Philippians 2 and 13 says, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. When you realize that God is for you, you don't freak out every time something bad happens to you because you realize that God is working in you to bring about good according to his purpose for those who love him. And this is a massive game changer. I'm going to tell you why. Because some of you right now, you're saying, why is this happening? God, you could do something for me. And one day you'll realize that God was actually working something in you that he could do something through you with. Don't ever think that a situation that comes in your life is for your destruction. It's never for your destruction. It's for the upbringing of something greater in your life. Amen. In 1978, firemen in England went on a strike in the middle of a hard cold winter, and the British Army was called to take over the emergency firefighting. I'm going to tell you this little story. In January, those substitute firefighters were called out by an elderly lady to help get a cat out of a tree. So they arrived with impressive haste and cleverly removed the cat from the tree started to drive away. But the lady was so grateful she invited the whole squad of army men and, and heroes into her house for some tea and they enjoyed their tea and then with their fond farewells and warm waving of arms the soldiers started out of the driveway and ran over the woman's cat. <laughs> terrible story. <laughs> It'd be worse if it was a dog but it's a terrible story. <laughs> I love cats. I really do. But there's 12 foundations in heaven. I want to be on a different foundation than they own. It's a terrible story, but I have some serious reason for telling it because I, I, I've seen very well many people while doing good run over the cat of the person they mean to help. And I'm not trying to run over the cat here tonight. Please allow me to say this without harming you. Many of you that hear what I'm about to say will not understand. But I will tell you this in closing. I've always wanted to be what I am today. Deep down in my heart, I always wanted to be a, a preacher, a pastor. I ran from it. I tried to dodge it. 
I've never cared for the celebration part. Dan Dean embarrassed me Sunday. I never, I never needed the applause. It still embarrasses me. It's not important. But the fact that I was called and I cared for the people God called me to lead, that's the important part. And I care for this church. I was once a part of a fellowship that told me when I was just a young man to preach the gospel to the whole world. When I got a chance, preach the gospel. Anytime I was allowed that chance. And so there's been some, there's been some tragic moments in my life. I, I lost my family in 81, but I preached the next Sunday. I lost my brother in 92. I did his funeral and I preached when I got back home. I did my dad's funeral in 10 and I preached when I got home. It was a tough day. I preached my mama's funeral in 13 of April and it was a tough, tough Sunday after that. But I preached in a place many years ago that was not considered evidently by the constituency that I was a part of to be the whole world. It was a little, little church that Somebody wanted me to come and just try to help. Obviously, the Board of Presbytery wanted my license, and they made it known in no uncertain terms. Now, I remember coming home to my wife. I don't want to run over your cat tonight, but I'm, i got to preach. I remember coming home to my wife and saying to her, it's hard to imagine that the whole world doesn't mean the whole world. If I was trusted when my wife died and I didn't lose out and backslide, if I was trusted when my brother committed suicide and didn't stop preaching this gospel, if I was trusted at my dad's funeral and burying my own mama, still preach this gospel, couldn't I be trusted to make the right judgment to preach the gospel to people that needed the gospel? And so... I had a wife that God spoke to when I lost my first wife and said that she would be my healer, my help. And when I, when I got to her, my wife looked at me and she said, Honey, man did not call you into ministry. God called you to preach this gospel. And it does not matter what man says about you. If God is for you, and be against you. And what you need to know is something happened to me inside of me at that moment. And I wanted to know, God, why is this happening to me? Why don't people understand my heart? And what I didn't realize is God was doing something in my heart. He was giving me a resolve that honestly, everything that's happened since in my life in one way or another was born out of that moment. Because it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what the name of the denomination is. And I'm not, I'm not against denominations. It doesn't matter what group of people they are. What anybody thinks about you. If God has called you to do something. If God has called you, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. For if God is for me, who can be against me? And I'm not taking on the whole world. But I've never been more happy. To see people walk in Christian Life Church that are hungry for a morsel of bread from the Word of God. Because I promise you, we'll give you a slice or two when you come to Christian Life Church. And you can come with your drug habits. And you can come with your alcoholism. 
And you can come with your sexual addictions. And you can come with all your hang-ups. But the whole world needs to hear the gospel that Jesus still saves people. I'm not grandstanding here tonight. I don't need the applause. He needs the applause. Give it to him tonight. It's not about this preacher. God called me to preach the gospel. He's the one that saves. He's the one that delivers. He's the one that sets free. Please keep standing. I'm done. I'm finished. I'm finished. It's time for us to understand that he's working in you and one day he's going to work through you. That's how God operates. Now, I've walked with him a lot of years. I was baptized when I was seven, received the spirit when I was nine years of age, gave my heart to the Lord as a little boy. And the the more I walk with him, the more he builds faith in your life. When I look back now, I realize God has been with me and for me in all my yesterdays. And since God has been with me in my yesterdays, I can trust him with my tomorrows. I really believe that. God is good. He's for me. And he's for you. And he has plans to prosper you and to not harm you. He has plans to give you hope in a future. And if God is for you, who can be against you? When you realize that he's for you, you don't hide from him. Stop hiding. Run to him. You don't live for his approval. You live from his approval. You don't worry what happens to you because you know he's working in you. Now, I read you a poem at the first of this service about a boy 15 years of age. And I want to play a little video for you before I let you go tonight. It's about a minute long, a minute and a half long. It's the poem that I read you. But I want you to watch it and watch what happens in the poem. Show it. Guy doesn't love me can't force me to believe God is good. This is the one truth in life. This world is a product of chance. How can I believe God will use my life? I know certainty that God has left me. Never again will I say Christ has risen from the dead. I know now more than ever in my life that man can save himself. You must realize that it is ignorant to think God answers prayers. Christians declare that without God this world would fall into darkness. This world can and will meet my needs. It is a lie to say God has always been there for me. I now realize that no matter what I do, truth is, He doesn't love me. How can I presume God is for me? Unless God changes my heart and I come to realize that God is for me, how can I presume that He doesn't love me? The truth is, no matter what I do, I now realize that God has always been there for me. It is a lie to say that this world can and will meet my needs. Without God, this world would fall into darkness. Christians declare that God answers prayers. You must realize that it's ignorant to think man can save himself. I know now, more than ever in my life, that Christ is risen from the dead. Never again will I say that God has left me. I know with certainty that God will use my life. How can I believe that this world is a product of chance? This is the one truth in life. God is good. You can't force me to believe God doesn't love me.
Pretty good. Pretty good way to wrap it up. When you talk to yourself negative, you go down. When you turn it around, you come up out of anything. Come on. Speak to yourself. God is for me. And if God's for me, who can be against me? Clap your hands all over the house tonight. Magnify the Lord all over the house tonight. Come on. Magnify Him all over the house tonight. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.